So we're continuing in this series that we've been in uh, called God Didn't Say That or God Never Said That. Uh, phrases or thoughts or sayings that sometimes we throw out there into the world that, that have sort of a, a spiritual ring to them or even a biblical ring to them. But if we look at them closely, we actually find out they're, they're just not based in uh, scripture or what God has said really at all. Uh, and today we're talking about uh, the topic of death. Um, and I know for some of us that's, that's a little raw. Uh, we've had losses uh, literally within the last uh, couple of days. I have personally. My family has had some loss personally in the last couple of days that has hit us pretty hard. Um, we have other friends who literally at this moment, as you and I are speaking, are hovering on the edge of life and death. Uh, and, and that will take its course somewhere in the next probably 24, 48 hours. Um, and that's on our minds. Uh, there are some of you that have had significant loss just within the last week or month. And so uh, you may have experienced some of these things that I'm going to talk about this morning. And then you, like me, are probably guilty of some of these things that I'm going to talk about this morning. And I want to help you and help myself to remember how to, uh, how to be uh, sensitive to folks who are grieving and, and things that maybe are positive to say in that moment to some people, but not necessarily positive to say to other people in that moment. And so, uh, you know, our, our catchphrase for today is, uh, God never said that. Uh, one of those would be, uh, sometimes when people pass, we'll say things like, um, God needed another angel. Or they, they've gotten their wings or things like that. And I'm not going to dig too deeply into that specific phrase other than to say that what the Bible teaches us is that you and I, uh, humanity, people with souls, we're, we're never angels. Um, we are a different creation than angels are. And uh, uh, the angels today uh, lack uh, self-determination. They lack will. They lack the ability to, have to make their own choices. That choice was taken away from them after the rebellion, and Satan took a third of the host of the heaven and rebelled against God. The, the angels who remain in heaven, uh, they uh, are really not of their own will, but how God has made them, continually worshiping the Lord. And then some of them, the Bible teaches us, are given specific assignments to come to earth and to minister or to proclaim the news, like when Jesus was born. Uh, or when Mary found out that uh, God was going to give her a baby, the angel came and proclaimed that to her so they can be messengers. But people, people with souls, never become angels. Um, and the, the intent behind that kind of a phrase is to be comforting, but frequently to those who are grieving, it's just not. And there's some other ones that maybe you've heard, maybe you've received, maybe like me, some of them that you've said at different times, that uh, we should consider if they're really helpful. Um, and they pick at one of the, the principles that we can find as we look through Scripture, which is um, our time of passing, or our loved one's times of passing, or anyone's times of passing, is that something that God has detailed and planned? Like there's a book somewhere that says, on this day, so-and-so is going to take it out, Right? Is that really how this works? And I want to share some scripture with you that will give us some illumination of that. But uh, as I was doing some research for this, of course, I, I wasn't prepared to lose a good friend uh, a couple of days ago, uh, very unexpectedly. And so I was, I was, I've been prepping for this like, uh, like we do uh, 
here when we're teaching, we're usually two or three weeks out at least beginning to think about subjects and topics and look at resources and try and come up with ways to be engaging. And so one of the things I ran across, uh, and I, I only brought, I've got probably a list of about 30 here, maybe 40, but there's so many more. It, is, it was fascinating to me to see how many, what we would call a euphemism or a, uh, an alternate phrase that our culture, uh, particularly English culture, but I bet it spans the world, have developed sayings to say that someone has died without saying they've died. And some of them are poignant, and some of them try to be humorous. And so I'm just going to go through some of these. All right, so they've passed away, right? They've passed on. Um, they, they're asleep. They're resting in peace. They, they've gone to their eternal rest. Um, they've met their demise. They're deceased. Departed, gone, lost, slipped away, lost their life. They succumbed to whatever was happening. Uh, gave up the ghost. Uh, here's a popular one. Kicked the bucket. Right? Um, didn't make it. They breathed their last. They went home to be with the Lord. Uh, they met their maker. Uh, they were called home. They were called to a better place. Um, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Uh, one of my uh, personal favorites, because I'm weird, they have assumed room temperature. <laughs> I would like that to be said about me when I kick the bucket. Became living challenge. Right? Right? Really? Uh, bit the dust, bought the farm, bought a pine condo, uh, cashed in their chips, checking out the grass from underneath. Some of you can identify with this. Uh, they've decided that hell's got a better HR policy than the office does. <laughs> I don't want to work in that office. This is one of Jason's favorites, the big dirt nap. Falling off their perch, they've had their final curtain call. They're going home, feet first. That's a good cowboy phrase right there feet first and with their boots on. They've left the building. Permanently out of print. Pushing up daisies. Taken out of production. Gone from our sight. We have as humanity because, as we've talked about here before, you know, um, the place in which we're born may give us status. The way in which we're born may give us a story or a tale. Um, the life that we live, the status that we have, the position that we have, the money that we may have or don't have, the place where we live, the, the, the bloodline of our heritage, all of those things may indeed give us on this earth some, some measure of pride or something to be... Uh, proud about, and we might extol that. You know, I say uh, on my dad's side of the family, um, I was able to trace our ancestors in America back to the second wave of the pilgrims who came over uh, after the Mayflower, right? Um, big deal. And I say big deal because 
the fact that I have this list of 30 or 40 or so, uh, one of the pages I went to literally had well over 150 euphemisms for dying in English. I think that's an acknowledgement that we all have as, as humanity, as people, that no matter what comes before it, at the time of our death or our loved one's death, everything becomes pretty equal. Now, you might be a, a Billy Graham who, who lies in state and, and people come to see and to pay their respects or Martin Luther King or John Kennedy. Maybe, but to the one who's passed, does it really matter? Everything's been made pretty equal. Uh, it's the old saying, there's only two things certain in life, right? Death and taxes. And they both feel a lot the same. And so we wrestle with it. We make fun of it. Uh, we avoid it. We deny it. We try to put it off as long as possible. But at the end of the day, literally, all of us will be made equal in death. And all of us will suffer loss as we stay here on this earth and those that we love and care about leave us. And then at some point... Our loved ones will experience the same with us. They will experience loss and grief because we have left them. Is our time and date established by God? And is it immutable? Is it unchangeable? Is there nothing we can do to change that? Um, this reminds me of one of my favorite movies is the movie Hooked. Robin Williams, where he plays... Uh, spoiler alert, I mean, it's like 30 years old, so if you haven't seen it, tough rocks. But um, <laughs> he plays, well, you didn't like that? Was that you? Oh, all right, I'm not sure. Somebody, somebody clocked disapproval over here, so if you haven't seen it, tough rocks. Um, Robin Williams plays a grown-up Peter Pan, but he's forgotten that he's Peter Pan. And uh, he's a, a big wig at a, at a company, he's the top guy, and, And he's kind of scatterbrained, as you might imagine his character to be. And he's going off to get on a plane to go back uh, to where he grew up. The woman who took him in at this, this orphanage and took care of him. And um, her name's Wendy, right? Um, and he, Peter Pan, right? Peter Pan, woo, he's afraid of flying. And so he's getting, he, his, his staff, you know, all of his, his little people are walking with him down the hallway. And they're, they're reassuring him. That commercial flight is the, like the safest way to travel. There's so many flights take off every day, and they all land successfully. And, and as he's getting into the airport, um, one of the, the people there says, just remember, it's not your time to go. And as the doors are closing, he says, what if it's the pilot's time to go? <laughs> right? Which, if we follow the logic that says that everyone's date and time is established before the foundation of the earth, you know, God picked a day and a manner in which you and I are going to die, that means that he picked the manner and the time of the day for everyone on that airplane as well. And then he gathered them, he, he orchestrated the events of their lives to all be in that same place at the same time and all perish at the same time. And he does that for every death that's ever happened. And I'm going to tell you right off the bat, that is not something the Bible teaches. Now, I will tell you this as well. If you go home today and you do a little Google search, the font of all earthly wisdom, and you search this, this question about 
Does God plan the time of everyone's death? You will find some very reputable and very wrong teachers on this subject. And I was pretty shocked, actually, as I was researching this. One of them is John Piper. I don't know if anybody's a John Piper fan. I'm not particularly a John Piper fan, but he's very popular right now. Um, he has an article on this, and he starts with the premise, and then he uses the passage of Scripture, and then he absolutely murders this passage of Scripture to prove his point. And it's because he's locked in a worldview that says this is how it works, and so then he takes the Scripture and twists it in there. I'm not interested in doing that. I just want you to hear the words that are in the, in the Bible and explain to you how they work so that you can have a confidence about how God is interacting and, and moving in your life and the life of people you love. So the first one of those I want to look at is in Job chapter 14, 1 through 6. This is one that was actually is used a lot to support the idea that somewhere there's a book written that God planned out, that he sat down and he thought about every single person in this room and in the world. He said, I'm going to give so-and-so this many days, this many minutes, and then they're going to die. And he did that for everyone. Um, and it's very badly applied. So uh, this is one of Job's uh, uh, laments. He's talking to God. Uh, and he says this, man who is born of a woman and is few of days and full of trouble, he comes out like a flower and withers, he flees like a shadow and continues not. Now here Job is just talking about the, the fragile nature of life, right? That in the big scheme of things, both in the scheme of world history, however long you believe the world has been in existence, your span of time here and my span of time here is like, it's tiny. And so there's other places in the scripture where it talks about, about, about this, that, that man is, is like a, a vapor. It's here and it's gone, our life. Uh, and certainly if we put it under the lens of eternity, how long eternity is, our space and time, no matter how important our life feels to us and to those that we love, our life is really just, it's such a small space of time in the big scheme of things. And that's exactly what he's saying here. Um, he flees like a shadow and he continues not. And then it goes on. And do you open your eyes on such a one and bring me into judgment with you? Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean one? There is not one. And then here's the big one that people like to land on. Since his days are determined. Oh. Oh, his days are determined. Someone must determine them, right? Since his days are determined and the number of his months is with you. And you have appointed his limits that he cannot pass. Look away from him and leave him alone that he may enjoy like a hired hand his day. Basically, Job is saying, look, since we're not going to be around for very long, um, leave me alone. Let me have a good time. Don't bring me trouble. There are some loaded words in here. His days are determined. The number of his months is with you. You have appointed his limits that he cannot pass. I'm going to take that last one first. You have appointed his limits that he cannot pass. See? Uh, Job understood that God had declared at a certain point in time that man would not live any longer than a certain number of years. We find in the early parts of the Old Testament people living hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, Methuselah, anybody? How old? 900 something? That, that seems like that number rattles in my head. Years. 
And it came a point where God said, I, shall, I decree that man shall no longer live beyond a certain span of time. And if we look around the world today with all of our technology and all of our health advancements and all that kind of stuff, you still don't find anybody living past 117, 118, 120 years. Kind of the max. And it's rare, right? So that's what that phrase means. The number of his months is with you, and since his days are determined. And here's where we have to really be careful about how we think of the way that God interacts with humanity. Because here's the thing, and some people believe this, and maybe you do, and if you do, I, we disagree. And I don't believe you can support it biblically. But some people believe that every single event of your life is mapped out and chosen and picked by God to happen exactly the way that it does. If that's true, you really don't have any free will. And folks who are really sold into that theological belief actually kind of think that's true. When we start talking about salvation and predestination and those kinds of things, they're on the boat that says, look, God's already decided who's in and who's out. And if you're out, you're just out. You don't have anything to do with it. God's, God's going to carry in those that he wants to carry in, and he's going to leave out those that he doesn't want, want in. And I, I don't see that as a viable theological position to take, but it's very, very popular today. In addition, if you just work that logic through, that every single event, every second, every breath of your life is predetermined, not just known by God, but planned by God, then uh, my friend Christopher, who, who suffered and perished with leukemia when he was 10. God picked that. And I'm not buying it. I don't find that in scripture. So I need somebody to come and help me. Actually, I need a couple of people to come help me. Morgan, you want to come help me? Karen, can you come help me? Sure you can. She's like, oh my gosh. And who else do I want Billy Worthy, you can help me out, would you? So since his days are determined and the number of his months is with you. when you were born, right? Okay? Now, we live in a linear time space. Uh, we can't see the whole picture. We just, all we can do is we can look backwards in our own life, and in, let's imagine this line stretches out all the way past the building and as far as we can see, and that's, that's what day were you born? Uh, July 19th, 1986. Okay, so, wow. <laughs> <laughs> that's a baby. Man, I'm regretting this decision. 1986. So, 85 and on goes that way, right? And where Karen is, let's say uh, that's going to represent the end of Billy's life, which we hope we're not going to get close to yet, right? But that represents, and then beyond that is the future, whatever, whatever time is left on Earth. And we're stuck in this space. So here's, here's Billy, 1986, 
Um, graduated from high school, 98, right? Maybe-ish? You graduated high school from 2004. 18, hello, 18 years. I was thinking 12 years, I don't know why, because you're so smart. Um, all right, Ben. Uh, when did you join the Marine Corps? At 27. Okay. All right. So, and how old are you now? 32 in July. Okay, so that's not a bad representation, right? Um, so, 32, yeah, right? <laughs> how, old, how old do you want to live to be? All right. So here's the thing. This is the way we see and operate in time, is on this timeline. Now, uh, you know, uh, Billy's got a couple of kids. He's been married. Um, he's just bought a new house. And all these things have transpired. And someday down here, someday down here, he'll be a grandpa, you know, that sort of stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, thinking about that daughter, aren't you? <laughs> But this is the way that we move and operate and view time, right? But this isn't God's time economy. This is ours. Because remember, before the, the world was made, before the sun and the moon, there was no linear time. God simply exists. And so when we say that his days are determined, it's simply that there will be a time that he will be born and he will die just like the rest of us. And all of these things will happen in between. The number of his months is with God, meaning God cares for every one of those moments, and he knows about them, but it's not necessarily that he planned them, because here's where God is. If this is our timeline, if this is the way that we see and move and function in time, if God could be a building, let's think of him as these walls, and that those walls are the furthest stretches of eternity that we could possibly pack into our little brains. And you see that God exists... All the way around it, underneath of it, over it. Time actually exists within the presence of God. And so what we do sometimes is we try to take our earthly understandings and force God to fit into our construct of time. But God doesn't exist there. God exists out outside of time and space. So when we say in the Bible that God knows everything that's going to happen, it's not because he set some timer and said, this is going to happen, A, B, C, D, E, and F for you. It's simply that God exists both at our moment of creation, and he already exists at the moment that we die, and he exists everywhere beyond that and before that and below it and over it. And so he sees it all. He knows it all. Knowing something is not the same as planning something. God has knowledge that we don't understand. But it relates to us in this story as far as how then does God interact with us in our time as it concerns life and death. All right, you guys can just lay that down on the floor. Thank you. Big hand for our subjects here. So this passage tells us that God knows <clears throat> the knowledge of our time is with him. The determination of the length of our span, he knows. It is not the same thing as him sketching out the instant that you're born and the instant that you die and then kicking off some sort of a, a timer or spinning a top that is your life 
and he knows exactly when it's going to fall because he planned it that way. They're not the same thing. So there are some things that because of our understanding of this sort of timeline and maybe not thinking in more heavenly or spiritual terms that we sometimes get wrong. Maybe it's um, a poor understanding. Maybe it's awkwardness. I know I've been in that circumstance where I've, I've said something to someone just because it was awkward and I was trying to come up with something good to say or nice to say or comforting to say. And you've probably been there with me. I got, I got 10 of these and you could probably come up with some more. But I'm, I'm going to give you a principle that will help you and, and me not to do this. So uh, sometimes we might say, well, at least they're not suffering anymore. And look, many of these are true, right? They're accurate. But they may not give a person comfort who's just <coughs> suffered a terrible loss. Because in this case, maybe, well, at least they're not suffering anymore. Or they're in a better place, right? We'll say that. The person who suffered the loss may also think those same things, but they might feel guilty for thinking those things. Because it makes them feel like, well, so if I say internally, like, you know, my mother suffered a long, a long time with her cancer. And when she passed, she was not suffering anymore. And there was a relief to that, but the relief was greatly overshadowed by the grief. And it's because if, if in that moment, we give in too much to the, well, at least they're not suffering anymore. For some people, it could, it could lean over into, well, I guess I wanted them to die. I wished that they would die. And so it sounds like a good thing to say, a kind thing to say, but it may not be. So at least they're not suffering. They're in a better place. Well, you'll see them again one day. It's true. I mean, for believers, it's true, right? I say often to people, I will say, um, I'm, in fact, I said this to a friend uh, this week. I'm so sorry for your loss, but I'm thankful for the promises. I think that was Diana. Did I say that to you? I think I did. I'm sorry for your loss, but I'm thankful for the promises of God. Kind of saying the same thing, but I feel like it says it in a different way. It acknowledges the grief. And that's all of these things that I'm listing here. Kind of the flaw in all of them is they tend to dismiss the grief. And when you dismiss the grief, you're really dismissing the person who's passed. And you're sort of saying to the person who remains that, like, get over it. Just, it it's fine. You'll be fine. Get over it. And we don't mean to do that, but sometimes it can come across that way. Um, they're walking with Jesus. Well, I, I wish, that's great. I'm glad they're walking with Jesus. I would rather they were here walking with me for another 30 years. Well, it must have been God's will. Mm -hmm. Must it have been? Even if you take it at its most basic level, uh, I, I'll, tell this, I'll tell this story. Uh, several years ago uh, at this church. We'd had Sunday morning church, gone home. Karen and I were wiped out. I mean, we were tired. Kind of like we are right now. Uh, it's just a permanent condition. Um, 
And we'd gone home, I think we'd gone out for lunch, and then we were home, and we were, we were both just laying on our bed, you know that kind of where you walk into your room and you get to the edge of the bed and you just go, <laughs> right? You're not even fully in the bed, but it is now supporting you from falling to the floor. And just about to, I was just about to drift off to sleep when the phone rang, which is pretty unusual on a Sunday afternoon, actually. So the phone rang, picked it up, said hello. It was our friend Mike. And he said, you gotta come to the house right now. Chris is dead. And I, I was in a fog and it was like, I'm trying to process this. What has happened? And, and uh, these were, again, dear, dear friends of ours. Teenage son, 16 years old, big strapping hockey player guy, another guy named Chris. Um, healthy as a horse. Uh, was gonna be, he would be a world-class goalie, hockey goalie. And, and so the words are not making sense to me. What are you talking about? And he says, um, his mom went downstairs to get him out of bed, and, and he's dead. So I gathered myself up, actually called my dad, and said, hey, come pick me up. Let's go over to Lori's house and see what's going on. And so we did. Uh, we drove over there. We drove up. Police cars are there. I remember walking up the steps into her house, and as I opened the door, the saddest wailing I've ever heard in my life, it was so loud, was coming from the living room. And we'd been there for dinner, we'd spent time with this family, we'd been fishing and all kinds of stuff with them. And it, and it, was, it was shocking. And so I walked through the little entryway and through the kitchen and there was uh, my friend Lori in the middle of her living room floor on her knees weeping wailing, throwing her face on the floor and I, I said her name, I said Lori and she looked up at me and she just wailed she said why, why why can you imagine in that moment looking at my friend Lori and saying well it must have been God's will And when all was resolved, Chris just died. No drugs, no alcohol, no, no heart defect they didn't know about, no like blood clot or aneurysm or something. He just got out of bed, fell over in his bedroom, and died. What can we say in those moments to reflect the love and nature of God and not put trite phrases or things that sound good or things that we think would be helpful. We should think purposefully through those moments. And whether it's a tragic moment like that or the impending certain death of a loved one who's, who's ill with a terminal disease or age, it's really all the same. Having gained an angel, everything's going to be okay. You know, time heals all wounds. Well, I tell you, I think, I think time lets all wounds scar over, but they're not necessarily healed. Because you and I have some wounds from a long time ago that still hurt, right? And I think that's okay. Okay. 
You'll get over it. Wow, I can't even imagine someone saying that. I would punch somebody in the mouth for that one. In Jesus' name. <laughs> and then one that you just kind of have to take, you have to really watch this one because you have to be truthful. Um, let me know if there's anything I can do. That's an easy one to still say. I, I know I'm guilty of it sometimes still. I try to use it sparingly with people that I know uh, will understand what I'm saying to them. But even I say, well, what's the problem with that one? Is, well, sometimes they don't know what to ask for. But they still need stuff. They still need help. They need comfort. They need presence. But they don't know how to ask. And so you put the burden back on them, and they've already got a big burden. Right? So maybe try to be proactive. Psalm 139.16 says this. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me. When as yet there was none of them. Again, we read that and we go, oh, see, God does have a book. He's written down every day. I think, again, as we look at the totality of Scripture and the way that God interacts with humanity, this doesn't mean that God has a book where he wrote down, oh, you only get 10 years. You only get 45. Oh, you get 102 years. And, oh, your last 40 years of being 102 are going to be terrible. I can't square that with what I see in the totality of Scripture. What I do see here is that the example of this timeline, God knows. He has full knowledge of what your life and my life and your birth and your death and my death is going to look like, where it's going to happen, how it's going to happen, what it's going to be. But it's not that he set it into motion. It's that he simply he knows because he's God. He is aware. James chapter 4, 13 through 15, says it like this. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. This is a, a solid reminder that as those who have suffered loss and those who will suffer loss is to not take any day for granted. Now it says here, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that tomorrow. And that's a good attitude to have. If the Lord will allow, I'll still be here tomorrow. It is still not the same thing as saying, I hope God hasn't planned my death for me tomorrow. There's another passage of scripture that says if we will uh, raise up our children in the way of the Lord, that when they're older they will return to it. And if we will keep his promises, if we will be righteous people, we will have long lives. Righteousness can lead to a long life. That verse alone seems to indicate to me that we do have some control 
over how God interacts with our timeline in the way that we see it. Why did my young friend Chris die of leukemia? Well, because he got cancer. Why did he get cancer? He got cancer because the world is infected by sin and all of creation has been perverted by that. And we deal with things today that God never intended when he created humanity. The garden was perfect, sinless, without disease, without blemish. But sin, sin began to tarnish this world. Why do we deal with diabetes and high cholesterol and, and, uh, and heart disease? Well, because we eat terribly, because we don't exercise enough, because we're too fat. But it goes back further than that. Every, the Bible teaches that everything that God made is good for us. But some of it's been perverted by sin. And some things that God made that should be good for us have actually turned into poison for us because of the effects of sin in creation. And so while God may intend for us to live however long we, we're intended to live, <coughs> sin comes in and messes up a whole lot of things, including sometimes the span of our lives. Someone uh, kills someone else through reckless actions. An accident happens and we, we slip off of a trail and find ourselves on the way to our demise. We have my friend Wayne, who died just a couple of days ago. A week ago, we were messaging on Facebook because he was having some issues with his legs, lost some feeling in his legs. Thought he had a pinched nerve in his back, so he went to the hospital. Then they said, no, nope, you're having a reaction to the flu vaccine that you had. And it's uh, causing uh, this myelitis in your spine. And we're going to put you on some really heavy-duty antibiotics, and we're going to knock that thing out. That went on for a few days. Didn't help. He sent me a message on Facebook. said, hey, send me your phone number. I've lost your phone number. When I get out, I want to be able to call you because we haven't talked in a while. Uh, Wayne uh, was here with us for, for years in the Christ Community Church. His wife, Gloria, sang with us on the worship team back at the, at the beginning. Uh, I've known them since I was little. Uh, just wonderful, wonderful people. Uh, Wayne, truly one of the nicest people I've ever met. What a goofball. Um, a little rough around the edges, but man, his heart was as big as the world. Uh, and so then he found out it uh, wasn't something in his back. It wasn't something, uh, some uh, infection in his spine. He had what's called a fistula at the base of his skull where a bunch of nerves and, and veins and things had intertwined and was causing this pressure on his spinal cord and it was paralyzing. They said, we're going to have to go in and do the surgery. Very delicate surgery, very risky, but we got to do it. If we don't do it, it's eventually it's going to kill you. So they went in, they did the surgery, and man, it came through incredibly. It went fantastic. Every, you know, they hit every mark that they could hit that was success. Yes, this is awesome. Uh, within just a few hours, he started to wiggle his toes again. Things were moving in a positive direction. So they kept him in intensive care for a couple of days um, and then uh, sent him back to his hometown of Bakersfield, California for uh, inpatient treatment, you know, not critical care, but inpatient treatment and start doing some physical therapy. That was like Thursday, I think. Thursday night. And then Friday morning, he went to his first phys physical therapy appointment. And laying on the table and they're working his legs, right? We don't know 100% for sure at this point, but probably true. 
blood clot broke free from his leg, went to his heart, and died on the table. They could not revive him. If the Lord lives and wills, if the Lord wills, he could, he could have rescued Wayne in that moment. But it's not the same as saying that God, from the foundation of time, said, you know, Wayne's going to go on this day, at this time, on this table, in this activity. God is not in the business of bringing you suffering for no reason. Sometimes we can have discipline, right? To get us back on the right track. But God is not up there planning and, and orchestrating for you and I to be miserable somehow to point us towards him because that generally doesn't work. Here's the verse that I think is so much better than all of these other ones that people want to try and twist and we can argue about the, the hermeneutics of them and the semantics of them and all the things that lie underneath those um, and I'm not the greatest Bible teacher in the world. I just try to tell you what I, what I think I see. This is one that I think really matters. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So this is what I know. No matter the reason that my young friend Christopher died of leukemia, or my young friend Chris died of nothing, or that my beautiful friend Wayne had a blood clot, took him out a few days ago, as terrible as those things are, and as unfathomable as those things are, if I love God and I'm working towards his purpose, he gives me this promise that even those terrible things, those griefs, that ripping of our hearts, he says, I will not let that be junk. If you'll love me, if you'll follow me, I will make even the worst things into something for good. Now that's a promise I can cling to. So finally, what are some things that we can say to folks who are grieving that are helpful? I came up with four things that I use regularly. I'm sorry. I love you. I remember when, and then I tell a story you remember. Karen did that for Wayne this week. We'd gone to visit them. Was it 2012? Is that what you said? Gone to visit them in 2012 and hung out with them and had a great time. Uh, so she posted a bunch of pictures from that visit. And I know Miss Gloria, uh, his wife, was so thankful to be reminded of that because the way that works is the, one of the things that people fear is that someone that they love has died and everyone's just going to forget. And so then sometimes we feel awkward. We don't, oh, we don't want to say their name because we don't want to hurt them, but we're actually hurting them when we don't say the name of the person who's died. It's like we're pretending they didn't exist. 
It's a weird thing, right? So if you have memories to share, I remember this. Um, Karen and I were laughing about this the other day. I remember when Wayne, uh, we used to go to scary movies together. That was our thing. We'd go to see the scary movies together. And I was thinking about it when The Quiet Place just came out, because that's a movie we would have definitely gone to see together. We went to see The Sixth Sense. Spoiler alert, how old was that movie? I don't know, I don't care. Um, <laughs> spoiler alert. Uh, we're like five, ten minutes into the movie. Wayne's sitting here, I'm sitting here, Karen's sitting here. Wayne goes, he looks at me and goes, I'm like, what? He goes, the kid is dead. <laughs> I said, what? He said, the kid's dead. I went, Right. Thanks, Wayne. <laughs> we got to sit through the rest of this movie now. I don't think the people behind us appreciated it much either. But, but I remember when. <clears throat> Wayne kind of ruined the sixth sense for us. It's funny. Later, it's funny. So I'm sorry. I love you. I remember when. And then the last one is nothing. Sometimes the best thing you can do is just say nothing, but be present. A hug, a handhold. Um, I can't count how many times I've been with folks who have, have suffered a terrible loss, and all I've done is just gone and sit with them. And then if they want to talk or they need something, I'll, I'll go with them. But sometimes just be present. Those are good things to do. And then be reminded, and if the opportunity arises, you can remind them. Yes, this is terrible. This is awful. I take comfort in knowing that God promises that even this, though we can't see it today, even this, he promises, he will cause something good to come. May you and I live that way. Even as those around us sometimes go on before us. May you be blessed in your grief. Would you stand with me for closing prayer? Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause the light of his face to shine upon you. May he turn his countenance towards you and give you peace. Lord, remind us that, that though you know the course of our lives, that you are aware because you are God, you are omniscient, you know every single thing. Lord, help us to not ascribe to you, to, to blame you for things that go wrong, for losses we suffer, for trials that we have. Lord, you tell us that you're a good father. You want to give us good things, but in this life we will have trouble. Father, may it be our instant response to trouble to turn our hearts to you and seek you for the good thing that you will do, even when things are bad. Thank you for that promise. We love you. In Jesus' name.